Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Quest, a new podcast that the Institute for Conscious Being has put together. And I welcome today Dr. Joseph Howell. Hello, Erica. How are you? I'm good today. How great. are you? I'm doing great. Good. Today, we are in Dr. Howell's office here in Anniston, Alabama. And this is very cozy. Thank you for having us here. It's also very quiet, which is nice. Yes, it's, it's secluded. It is. So we have some time today that we want to uh, introduce some of the Mm -hmm. fundamentals and the basics of the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. mainly because we believe we need to have a little bit of information Mm -hmm. about the Enneagram Mm -hmm. so that as we go a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. into the the soul Mm -hmm. of it, we have an understanding and foundation to build upon. I'm glad that you want to head us in that direction, Erica, because uh, if if there isn't a correct foundation lane, then um, people run off onto the types as if that were the substance of the Enneagram. Okay. Now, lots of people think, well, I was told I was okay. My parents were my biggest cheerleader. But all parents, tell their children in some way that they are not okay the way they are simply because they aren't okay for society the way they are. That's what parenting is, is to help a child understand that running naked through a crowd of people, even though that's okay to them, they're going to get some pushback for that from society. Right. You have to use your your utensils. Right. You can't eat with your hands right. off the plate of food in a restaurant. In this culture. <laughs> right. You know? In this culture. Exactly. Yes. So they help us move along, and but we hear those messages differently. We do. We hear them. It's called the shaping of childhood, and the parenting helps to shape the child so that the child feels well-adjusted to its context, his or her context. So the way we were born is really not the way that our egos have come to be. And when I say ego, I'm not talking about an inflated person who thinks they're better than someone else or the arrogance of ego. I'm speaking of ego here as the coping mechanism with life. It is the negotiator between us and the world, and it helps us navigate through this very crazy and terrible and at the same time wonderful world. Without an ego, we would have no filters, we would have no fears, we would have no emotional reactions, we would have no visceral reactions. Um, All of that would be uh, just sort of catch as catch can 
we were born with just sets of visceral sets of emotional and sets of mental reactions and the ego differentiates those particular to each person okay so we when we come into this world right life is is breathed into this body right you're saying that that is different than the way we develop and the ego that is developed what Mm -hmm. causes the development of that ego well the kid has said uh, pick up your fork (laughs) Uh, the kid has said put on your clothes the 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 child is told uh, you've got to get up and get to school now the the nursery school child is told you can't wipe your nose on your neighbor so this begins to build an ego right okay the child gets messages that says i can't do what i want to do i can't just be the set of emotions that i want to be i've got to categorize i've got to get a filter because i'm still going to get told off unless i conform to what my parents have asked me and what society and school and peers are asking me to do and be. And you're saying, too, so we, we begin to develop this ego. Right. And this is based on our upbringing, our surroundings, the people yes. that we come in contact with. Yeah. Could be a school teacher, parents, friends, etc. Mm-hmm. Once we kind of have an understanding of what that, how that ego is developed, what does that have to do with the Enneagram? Well, the personality types are nine types of ego. Okay. That's basically what it is. And when I say, again, nine types of egos, I'm really not talking about nine types of arrogant people. Okay. I'm talking about nine types of ways people negotiate the world. Okay, speak about that a little bit more. Nine different ways... Nine different egos have developed. Absolutely. So, so we have this whole planet of people. Yeah. And you're saying out of this whole planet of people, there are nine basic ego types. Mm-hmm. And that is how the particular person mm-hmm. negotiates the world. That's true. Uh, you can look at them as nine different. Um, when you go to a football game, or a baseball game in a stadium, you know how you have your basic portal that you go through, and then from that portal you find your individual seat? Like your portal may be K, Mm -hmm. and you go through K, and it's a big archway, you go under it, and all people who have K on their ticket are going through that same portal, but they all have individual seats that express K-ness, in its own individual way. Because that's the only place that sees the stadium from that particular angle of that seat. K8 sees the stadium, the, the, the football field, at that particular angle. Which is quite different than K300. Right. Okay. Right. And that really is one of the beauties of the Enneagram. Absolutely. It really can, as we go deeper into this podcast, mm-hmm. we can explain its fluid nature. Yes. How you don't have to be stuck and right. how you can be a K, but be completely different than the K sitting next to you. Absolutely. 
and that is the those are the portals. There are only nine basic portals, one through nine. Um, people often ask about nine. I believe in our opening podcast we spoke about the universal law of three. Um, the law of three is the way, uh, the dynamic way the universe actually runs. It has to do with um, thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. It has to do with the law of dynamics. If you don't have three components, then you only have two, which is dualism, which represents a type of struggle between two, meaning that they get nowhere. But when you have a third component, that loosens up the dualistic struggle, and then you've got three different ways that things are seen, and it sets up a movement, which is usually in a spiral or a type of, like if you can imagine um, a washer, if you opened it as it was actually washing clothes, they're actually spinning, they're going around, because there are three basic uh, agitation components. And it's the difference between 2D and 3D. It's quite different. Yes. And I like your example there of, of the number three and the law of three. Aren't there three intelligence centers? There are. Um, we go back to Greek philosophy on this, and uh, Plato, um, the, the great philosophers who tried to understand the human mind um, and uh, called it the psyche, which is where we get the root word of psychology. Um, they were our first real psychologists, and uh, they understood that really the human intelligence comes from three basic parts. It comes from the mental part, it comes from our body, and it comes from our emotions. And that most human beings uh, use all three of those components to make decisions and to move through the world. Okay. Well, without going too deep, because we will, mm-hmm. we will go further in, in other podcasts, how does one use the intelligence of the mind versus using the intelligence of their heart or their body? Can you give me just a, an example? That yes. Um, someone who is focused on using their mind, for example, uh, uh, let's say for a solution, to find a solution, uh, they would be more, very analytical and they would be very proscriptive. Um, a mentally in-tuned person takes the facts and has a way of organizing and categorizing them in ways that allow the um, essential facts to emerge. This is done through analysis. It's done through assimilation and accommodation to the facts. Um, Then for them, that would be their major way of of um, interpreting the world. Whereas someone who is more emotionally inclined would, a very famous expression or well-known expression is, follow your heart. They tend to follow what the 
emotional reaction that they have actually is. And um, in doing that, they put emotions as a higher priority because they trust the emotional field of play more than the mental and more than the physical body as a way to interpret the world. And then we have the body people or the gut level people. Um, they are more in tune with the body as a way to tell them what's what and what they need to do. A, 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 a usual expression for this type of, of um, entity would be, I have a gut level feeling about something and I'm not going to dismiss it. Um, th these people's gut level impressions and feelings are what they go by more than pure emotion or pure analysis of the mind center. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yes. <clears throat> Let's put this in an example. Yeah. I'm going to purchase a car. Okay. And what I'd like you to tell me is, let's start with the head center. Mm -hmm. Tell me, just as a brief introduction, which of the three Enneagram types, the ego types, fall into the head center, and tell me why they might purchase a car. And then we're going to do that for the heart and for the body. Okay. So we can get kind of an example of how you go about making a decision. If you come from this head center, How would what would that look like? Well, these th the three types in the head center of the Enneagram are the six, seven, and five. Um, I say six because it's in the middle and it's, uh, it's the heaviest weight of them. Um, the essential um, issue for these three types is uh, when their game was shut down when they were little and they were told they weren't okay, fear went through the ego of the six, seven, and five. And so they reacted with fear as a, uh, as a reaction to having been told they weren't okay. And they went into their heads as a reaction to the fear. And they began to figure out ways that they did not have to be so afraid. So mental analysis for the six, seven, and five is built on escaping fear through elevating the mind into thought so that one can think themselves away from fear with the types of concepts that they entertain and that they're preoccupied with. So thought is their go-to for fear. Okay, so they're going to purchase a car. How is that different than the heart center or the, the body center? Well, they're scared they're going to make the wrong decision. <laughs> and they're scared they're going to be stuck with a, a car that they wouldn't want. And the fear would be that it would um, not give them the transportation they needed or that it would break down or that it would be inferior in some way and that they will have made a mess of things by having chosen and paid. It would be buyer's remorse on steroids, okay? So uh, what, what, what the six and the seven and the five do is they think of ways that they can create security. And so through analysis 
in three different kinds of analysis because we have three different kinds of egos here. The six analyzes to make sure that the decision is going to be a secure one by making sure that all of the, uh, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. My best friend is a, has an ego type six. Yes. And I would imagine that when she made her most recent vehicle purchase, that quite a bit of analysis of statistics right. and what is the safest vehicle and Safe. airbags right. and, and those sorts of things, how long it'll last, because right. we want to make sure that we're getting a good value because we would have a fear of spending too much money. Right. The, well, everyone has their own stadium seat, right? That's so right. they have their own way of, of having the worst case scenario. But that's what they're fighting with their thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Good. That's what the six would be fighting. Good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Well, that's a good example. So do we want to move to the heart center? We certainly can. The heart center, on the other hand, their major way of interpreting the world is through their emotions. How do they feel? What Enneagram types are represented in the heart center? Those would be the three, which is the center of the heart center the two and the four, which are the two types on either side of those of that three ego type. Okay. And so if the three was going to buy a car, they certainly wouldn't discount the head center, the analysis, etc. But the emotions in it would be very important. For example, egos of three are very, very interested in image, very interested in how something looks, uh, the efficiency of something, because it's got to be able to get people there and to get goals accomplished. So they might not buy a vehicle that had a lot of rust on the outside Maybe of it? Maybe not, <laughs> no, no. Okay, so um, appearance is important, the feel it, it, of it. It would be very important. It would, uh, uh, the, the ego of the three wants to feel good about that car. It's not a feeling of needing to be as safe about their decision. It's the feeling, do I feel good, and does the car make me feel good when I'm in it, when I'm driving it, and when I am touching it and invite people into it, and when I'm passing by people, what, are, what do I think they're saying about that car? Okay. Okay, see, it's a whole different quality. It's a whole different way of looking at purchasing right. a vehicle. Yeah, they go through a different portal to get to the stadium than sixes do. Okay. So they're not as concerned with the security? No, although it's a consideration, of sure. course. Um, uh, it's just that for, for the heart center, the three, the two, and the four, how something makes them feel is the top consideration. Good. Okay. So then the center that is left, you've spoken of the head center and the heart center, right. is the body. Right, the, the body. Center. Right. And what Enneagram ego types are represented there? That would be the nine, the eight, and the one. And here the primary connection is to one's visceral emotions, the idea of survival, the idea of what is my body saying to me? How does it resonate with this situation? And it's actually a way that people make decisions according to what their gut tells them, 
which is a different instinct than the mind and the emotions. Okay. Speak to that a little bit. How is the instinct, how is the bodily instinct, how does that show up differently than your feelings and your Okay, fears? well, uh, I'll get you to ask answer this question and everyone listening. When you've walked into a room and there's someone in that room who makes you feel very uncomfortable, and you don't know why, but you have found that the hair on the back of your neck is standing up or rising, mm-hmm. or that the the atmosphere around that person is one that you're avoiding because of certain vibrations that may make your body feel bad, and that also that some people and situations make people feel sick, actually viscerally sick to their stomach. One of the go-to expressions of this type, other than I have a gut feeling, is he or she or that situation makes me sick. It makes me want to vomit. Okay, that's the body talking there. That has nothing to do with mental analysis. It has nothing to do with how romantic it makes me feel or how good it makes me feel emotionally. Although these things overlap, the primary way of interpreting the world is, what is my body saying about this to me? And the body has a real intelligence. Yes. That often in our culture we discount. We do. We discount it. Philip Shepard has done a lot of wonderful writing and study and research on this. Um, he speaks about the actually the, the vagal nerve being one of the centers of intelligence that is a warning center to our body about what will bring us satisfaction and what we need to stay clear of that would possibly harm us. Interesting. So <clears throat> I'm an Enneagram egotype eight. That, that's where I fall on, on the Enneagram. And when you just spoke about walking in a room and you, mm-hmm. someone makes you feel very uncomfortable and you feel sick, mm-hmm. I, I've had that countless times. Okay. And I've told my parents, you can't trust that person. And they say, why? And I say, I can't tell you why. I don't even know why. I just know they can't be trusted. I have a gut feeling, and it's in my body. Does your hair ever rise on the back of your neck? Another reaction is uh, my chest will turn red. And so a lot of the people that I work with, they know when they start to see that reaction that something's going on that I'm not speaking of. And a lot of times if they'll say, what's going on, I don't know. Mm. I don't mentally know. My body knows that something is not going well or right. And I can feel it physically before I ever understand from a relational standpoint. Mm -hmm. So from the heart center, that heart center person might immediately begin to feel the feelings of that person or feel how they're feeling or be concerned about their feelings. Mm -hmm. That isn't how I approach it. Mm. I come from a completely different center of intelligence. Yeah, right. And of course, you're a mother of two wonderful young men, boys, um, and you are, you as a mother can speak 
to the fact of your body having spoken to you during pregnancy. Can you say a little about that? Sure. Let's see. So for me, uh, I'm not a girly girl, so grew up as a tomboy. Uh, All the girly type, really feminine, uh, delicate, Mm -hmm. sweet things are not things, as an egotype eight, I'm, I'm more concerned with strength and not showing emotions and feelings and all those sorts of things. Um, and never really been, you know, that in touch with, uh, I guess, the female feelings in my body, to be honest, that, mm-hmm. that sensitive side. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yes. And uh, being pregnant, having, having a baby growing inside of you, there's nothing like it in the world to get you in touch with your body and uh, to get in touch with how that baby's doing, mm-hmm. you know, even knowing um, from a very cellular level mm-hmm. what to eat and what not to eat and how much sleep and, and those sorts of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think that, mm-hmm. that the body does speak. It has its own language. It does. Yes. If you listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and part of growing in this work is growing in the awareness to be able to listen to the mm-hmm. different three, mm-hmm. the three different centers of intelligence, mm-hmm. and to be able to hear those messages that those different intelligences give us. Absolutely. So, uh, statistics are important, mm-hmm. but it's also important to listen to the heart. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the uh, when I was first introduced to the enneagram in the late 1980s. Uh, My first teachers were Patrick O'Leary and Maria Beeson. Um, They had an interesting way of throwing out how the different centers are very important to the human being. And it's like that we can look at these centers as three different cities that we go to to get information to live our lives. And we live a little in each city, but one city is the city that we choose to really make our home. And the head city would be a city full of libraries and full of information, and there would be much safety in it and security. Everyone would feel that they are in absolutely no danger they would have as much information as they needed. And it would be a city that's well laid out and you can tell where you're going. Maybe the, the cities that have uh, streets that are in avenues and streets and that run parallel, not windy pathways, but very well mentally constructed so that everyone knows where they're going and how they're getting there so the decisions are made easily. And then there would be the emotional city, the city of feelings, where color and vibrancy and activity are the things that are uppermost on people's minds who live there. There are many amusement parks, and of course there'd be libraries, but they would be fun libraries, like libraries that are hands-on and make you experience things where there's lots of uh, things to do that bring emotional uh, impact, where there could be 
many movie theaters and lots of amusement parks where there's wonderful rides that cause joy and laughter and thrills. There would be romantic areas where where lovers could roam and where there's the moon sets over a beautiful um, sort of maybe river bank or lake. Um, then there's the body city, which is made of things like spas and gymnasiums and places where people can find restoration physically and where they're able to uh, enjoy things like saunas and uh, running and um, doing things that uh, allow their body to build and become receptive to what that center of intelligence is telling them. And so body sensations in this city are very important. It has a place where you can be hot, a place where you can be cold, a place where you can feel ecstatic through um, uh, body being rubbed, for example, in massage. Um, so you can see these three different centers or three different cities that we all have to spend a little time living in. Right. But the ego settles in one of those cities and just visits the other. So as we wrap up today's podcast, we've talked a little bit about just an introduction to the three centers of intelligence that are located on the Enneagram. Obviously, yes. there are nine basic ego types. Of the nine ego types, three ego types reside in each of those different centers of intelligence. And just give us just a brief um, wrap-up of how the centers or why the centers of intelligence are important to our discussion of the Enneagram. The three centers of intelligence are very important to the Enneagram because without our understanding how we are actually born to have an egotype in one of these centers, we do not understand what the purpose of our ego is trying to do. We do not understand how it is trying to interpret the world. And we do not understand if, if we don't understand where we are in a certain center, we don't understand how we're related to the other two centers either. Because it is through going from one center to the other that we're able to pick up all three centers of intelligence to be a, a balanced human being and to be consciously aware that we are going from one city to the other, one center to the other, makes it entirely different. You're not just in the dark or nilly-willy going in any direction you wish. You're consciously knowing, oh, today this is a body day, or today this is an emotion day. What am I learning? What center am I in now? Not that all of our days are with one emotion, but each experience that we have during a day is usually grounded in one of these th three important centers of intelligence. 
So this information really just gives us awareness. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Howell, for this podcast today. It's thank great you, information. Erica Jobes. We want to ask the listeners to come back to our next podcast as we dive a little bit deeper into each of the three centers of intelligence and talk a little bit about the Enneagram types within those three centers. And our goal here, the entire goal of this podcast, is what? To allow people to make friends with their soul and to be able to become a more conscious human being so that basically our species can survive and that this planet can survive and that people's lives each come to much more fullness while we're here because we are conscious of what we're doing. Excellent. Okay, thank you, Dr. Howell. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for being with us today. Check out our website at www.theicb.org. That's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. If you have questions you would like to have answered on this podcast, just email us at the address on our website, theicb.org, under Contacts. And if you would like to attend one of the conferences or other events of the Institute for Conscious Being, you will find these presentations on our website under Events.